Well, uh, this last Valentine's Day was probably the best one I ever had. It was a great Valentine's Day. Tell us why. <laughs> Almost as if we planted that or something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. My wife took me to the gun range. She took me to the gun range on Valentine's Day. Now, that's a woman right there. There's a picture. Um, I, I, grew up, I grew up in the country. And so, I mean, guns was a part of our, just our culture growing up. But I never got to shoot inside before. That was, that was a trip. That was really cool to be able to get a chance to, to, to go to the gun range. And you can't let an experience like that uh, pass by without saying a couple things about it on a Sunday morning. So here's a couple life lessons that I took away from the gun shop. <laughs> Women, if you want your guys to get to the next level in their faith, you've got to bring them to the gun shop, right? All right, here we go. Um, number one, gun shop owners entrust people with great personal responsibility. I was, I was struck by that because we, we show up at this building that has other people in it. We give them our credit card. We sign a piece of paper and they give us ammunition and a gun. And I was struck by that. Just doesn't, does that seem crazy to anybody else? You can walk into a place you can, that's got lots of people. You give them a credit card, sign a few papers, and they give you a gun and ammo. What response? We could have done a lot of damage to ourselves and to others. That's huge responsibility. All right, number two. Um, another thing that I, that I picked up here. Uh, if you don't follow their rules, bad things can happen. Bad things. They have all kinds of rules in the gun shop, and every one of them is there because their insurance person, people said so. You know, And their insurance people said so because if you don't follow their rules, bad things can happen. Um, I, I was tempted to cut corners on what they said about where you load it, how you point it, all that kind of stuff. You got to follow those rules because one, what did you say? And you can have trouble um, in a gun shop. All right. Number three, another life lesson from the gun shop. And this was the hardest. First two, easy. Number three, hard. If you want to get better, you got to swallow your pride. At the gun shop, if you want to get better, you got to swallow your pride. Um, Having grown up, again, with guns, I, I like to think, oh, yeah, no problem. I, I, can, I got this. I got this. Well, uh, I never had fired a Glock before. Anyone out here ever fired a Glock? Really? Wow. They're fun, aren't they? They are fun. They are fun firearms. But I'd never fired one before. And, and the target I had was a zombie target. All right? So I've got this zombie target out there. And, you know, having done stuff with guns, I at least center mass... I can handle center mass. But everybody knows you, you, you can't stop a zombie hitting at center mass, can you? you it's true. You, you, where do you have to hit a zombie? A headshot. <laughs> People know these things, right? <laughs> headshot, of course, headshot. So I, I was having the hardest time trying to zero in on getting, getting the, the zombie headshot. And if I'm going to protect my family in the zombie apocalypse, you know, <laughs> I, I'm gonna ha- I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to improve my skills, and the the thing that I had to swallow on my pride was if if I'm gonna improve with this firearm I'm gonna need some help I'm gonna need some coaching I'm gonna need to listen to those who know more than I do about how you hone your your skills. Now let's let's make a couple quick adjustments on these life lessons and let's tie this in with faith. It's not a big jump. Um, number one, I was struck by this. This is not me after the fact making this up. This is at the gun shop. I was thinking about this. God entrusts people with great responsibility. When I was holding that gun in my hand, I was thinking, you know, how much more so has God entrusted you and I? 
He, he's given us the ability to make choices that have eternal significance. You, you and I, we could, we could, before we even walk out of this room, we could make choices that affect the rest of the lives rest of our lives for us. You could make a choice in one wrong turn of the steering wheel that could affect other people by what you put into your body, by what you don't let come into your body. There's, there's all these, God has trusted us. It's like he's given these kids guns and sent them out. He's given us great responsibility. And as I was thinking about what Ryan and Melissa were sharing earlier, um, there's, with, with, these, with this analogy, there's not only what we can do, but there's responsibility by what we don't do. A firearm in the right hands is a, is a great thing. A firearm in the right hands can provide. A firearm in the right hands can protect. And in the right situations, that can be a good thing. And I think about all of these needs in the world around us and how many of us are sitting with, with loaded guns that should be used to take out disease, to take out poverty, to take out injustice, to, to do some of these things. Not by shooting those who perpetrate them, but, but, but by, by, by doing the things that God would have us to do to change this world. He's given us these loaded guns. Great responsibility. And, and, and what follows from there is, number two, just adjusting what I said earlier, if you don't follow his rules, really bad things can happen. Or really good things might not happen. God's given us instructions. He's revealed things about this world that can help us navigate through life, that can also help us have the best life possible, that can also make, help us make a difference in others' lives. And if we fail to listen to that, it, it makes a difference in this world. Which leads us to number three. If you want to experience God's best, you've got to swallow your pride. Every one of us needs help in this world, in this life. Every one of us needs help with our relationships. We are tempted to do destructive things or tempted not to do things that would be helpful. When it comes to finances or just how we do life, we need God's help, his wisdom, his direction, his strength, his guidance. We need, we need God. And, and the wisdom we need does not only have benefits right here in this world, but into the next. And not just for us, but for others. It's important that we swallow our pride. We say, God, what do you want to reveal to us? What do you... What do you want to tell us about the way things is and, and how we should live our life? And that's the lead into this new series that starts today called Revelations. The series called Revelations, where we're going to look at revelations that have come from God to us. Now, I want to start this series by saying, you know, the, the revelations we're going to look at, they're about 2,000 years old. And one of the things that's been in the public discourse on and off has, has continually been, um, should the Bible be updated or contextualized, you know, for, for, our, for our, our, our modern society. Well, of course it should be contextualized, but updated. I, it's hard for me to go there. I, I, one of my favorite leadership books of all time, not, not hard for me to go there, I, don't go, I can't go there. Um, one, of my, uh, one of my favorite leadership books of all time is a book called The Contrarian's Guide to Leadership by Stephen Sample. Great book. Any of you read it? I saw a couple of nods. Anybody read it? All right. Great book. Great book on leadership. And he takes a contrarian perspective to a lot of leadership um, ideas. And one of the contrarian perspectives he takes is he says so many leaders, they want to read the latest stuff, the latest stuff, the latest stuff, the latest stuff. And he said, I push back on that. He says, I want to read the stuff that has stood the test of time. Because my experience has been a lot of the latest stuff is just a new fad. 
that, that comes in and fizzles out. And, and, and five years later, someone's saying the opposite thing of what that person said, and then everyone's hopping on this bandwagon. He says, I want to find the works that have been tested and true. I want to find the works, the principles that you can apply throughout history, different cultures, all this kind of stuff. And, and as I think about the list of books that fit that category, there are very few books that fit that category that have stood the test of time, that, that could be used in any culture, any historical time period, any economic situation. There are so few works that have really stood the test of time. And of that very, very short list, one stands out from among the others. And that's the Bible. No work in history has been translated into more language, languages. No work in history has been applied in more cultures or time periods. No work in history has been quoted more, studied more, scrutinized more than the Bible. So if we're going to look to wisdom, why not look to a work that has stood the test of time and has been embraced by so many folks? And there's a place to write this next thing in your notes. Um, you're not going to have a lot of different notes that I'm going to say, hey, write this down today, because today we're introducing a series, and so we're going to give more of a big survey. But of the things I'd encourage you to write, you write down, this is one of two, and that is this. John's writings have inspired more life transformation and focused debate than any other documents in human history. This is arguable, but you can make a strong argument for this. So whether you're coming from a perspective of, yep, I believe the Bible is true, or you're coming from a perspective of, hey, I might be open to it as literature. You got to wrestle with this. That of all of the things that have ever been written in the history of ever, you have a hard time finding one that has been a catalyst for more life transformation ever than the book of John. John also penned a, a book through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit called Revelations. I challenge you to find, find a book that in the history of the world has challenged people to get, engage in more, has inspired more debate on a focused topic than the book of Revelation. These, these are works that are significant, historically significant, perhaps the most significant writings ever, perhaps. That's what we're going to look at over the next nine weeks. We're going to dig into these writings by a person named John. He was a real person, um, lived in the first century. He was a disciple, a disciple of Jesus. And not a disciple in the sense of he was a disciple of a disciple. He was a disciple of a master. John was there. John was there. When Jesus taught on hillsides and seashores, John was there. When Jesus taught in houses and in the temple, John was there. John was there when Jesus performed miraculous signs. He saw them. John was there when, when people who were in powerful positions were confronted, when people in lowly positions were exalted. John was there. John stood at the foot of the cross. And who did Jesus entrust his mom to? John. That's huge. John saw the empty tomb. He saw the resurrected Jesus. This is a first-hand account that we're digging into here. He saw things. He touched them. Um, it's interesting, as you read John's work, you, you see the firsthand details um, that sometimes others don't include. He talks about fragrances filling a room. And then there was another time he, he said, and we caught 153 fish. 153, and scholars are like, okay, what does that mean? What does the number 153 mean? And I think it means that there were 153 fish, you know? <laughs> and, and they counted them, and it was 153. Um, well, some of the details that John includes, they make me laugh. I'm going to go off on a tangent right now. So if you're going to tune out, if you've got to check your, 
checking things, then check them. Because this, this is just, this to me is just funny. Um, John seemed to have a thing with Peter, um, like a competitive thing. Look, take a look at this. Um, this is, again, this is not me preaching doctrine right now. I'm totally in the realm of opinion, okay? But while we're here, <laughs> um, early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. She ran, she found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one who Jesus loved. <laughs> and who was that? <laughs> now, that was John. <laughs> this happened to be John. Peter, but here's what I think is really funny. Peter and the other disciples started out for the tomb. They were both running, but now John includes this very important piece of information that everything rests on, on the resurrection. They were both running, and the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He stooped, he looked in, he saw the linen wrappings lying there. He didn't go in. Then Simon Peter arrived, went inside. He also noticed, and here's, again, the kind of details that John has as a first-hand witness. He goes, there were these linen wrappings wrappings lying there while the cloth that had covered Jesus' head, it was folded up. It was lying apart from the other wrappings. And then, John, just to rub it in, <laughs> again, this is opinion, not doctrine. Um, the disciple who had reached the tomb first, <laughs> he says it a second time, also went in and he saw and believed. Now, again, it could just be me, um, but this happens more than once in John. Uh, here's a couple other examples. Um, John records that Jesus walked on water, but he, he just omits the fact that Peter did too. Um, <laughs> Peter, there's this, in, in John 13, you can look that up, there's this incident where Peter wants to talk to Jesus, but John records that he talks through John, talk to Jesus. Um, John 18, it's John's connections that get Peter into the court of the high priest. Uh, John outrunning Peter, we already talked about that. And then um, John 21 uh, records an incident where it's John who sees, hey, that's the Lord that had been resurrected. Now, Again, I'm, I, don't, I don't bring this up to in any way, shape, or form denigrate the scriptures. Um, I don't bring this up in any way, shape, or form to say that the scriptures aren't fully the inspired word of God. I bring this up because I find it fascinating that God can somehow take words that are fully the inspired word of God and somehow weave this person named John that he created into them. And if you look at the different books of the Bible that record the life of Jesus, every one is you. And somehow, they're both fully the Word of God and somehow infused with this person that God had created. It's, it, to me, that, 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 that is an amazing thing. Anyway, John is a first-hand witness, as we talked about. Here's a summary from a work of John's called First John that, that he gives, a paraphrase. First uh, John 1, 1 through 4, just kind of summarizing the perspective from which John is coming. He says this, From the very first day, we were there, taking it all in. We heard it with our own ears. We saw it with our own eyes. We verified it with our own hands. The word of life appeared right before our eyes. We saw it happen. And now we're telling you in the most somber prose that what we witnessed was incredibly this. The infinite life of God himself took shape before us. We saw it. We heard it. And now we're telling you so you can experience it along with us. This experience of communion with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. Our motive for writing is simply this. We want you to enjoy this too. That's the perspective he's coming from. So now let's turn a corner and look not just from the perspective he's coming from, but what does he say? And why does he say it? If you have your Bibles, open with me to John chapter 20, verse 30. John chapter 20, verse 30. 
because what we're going to find here is his purpose statement. John spells it out. He, he, in no uncertain terms, he says, this is why I'm writing. Okay? So if you have your Bibles, open it up because you're going to want to circle this or star it or highlight it or something because here it is. This is, this is John saying, here's why I'm telling you this. Here's why I'm revealing these things to you. Um, as you're opening up, I want to mention too, if you don't have a Bible at home, we would love for you to go home with one today free. We have a stack of them there at the, at the table in, in the back. All right, here we go. Uh, John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31. Now, Jesus did many other signs. Remember that word, signs. We're going to come back to that. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these, here comes a purpose statement, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. That's why he wrote. That's why these things are revealed to us. So here's the second of the two things that if you're going to write nothing else down, please write this down. John wrote his revelations, the revelations that were given him to him by God, stuff that he was revealed as he saw it and touched it, stuff that was revealed through visions um, and, and and, and the Holy Spirit. But he wrote down all these revelations that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ and by believing you might have life in his name. Now, I referenced this a little bit earlier. Uh, John's is not the only what we call gospel. Um, the gospels, when we're using this language, gospels, um, the gospels refer to the first four books of the Bible. They are the narratives of Jesus' life. They're the ones that kind of take you a little more through uh, Jesus' life and, and, and what he taught and what he said and those types of things. Now, the first three, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, not the first three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they're usually grouped together because they're very, very similar. They have their uniqueness, but they're also very similar. And, and John is frequently separated. They're all telling the same story, but the, the first three are so similar, there's even a name that they call them. Does anyone know what that's called? The, the synoptics. Say it loud and proud. The synoptics. Good job. See, we don't only hear about zombies. We're, we're talking synoptics and zombies in the same Sunday morning. thought you'd be more impressed that we cover in such a wealth of, of things. But the, because Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John are so similar, they're called the synoptics. There's even this name, this title that's given to them. John is, is telling the same account of Jesus, but he includes things that the others don't. And he includes perspective that the others don't. And so what we're going to do as we look at John's writings, um, because we're primarily going to focus on his gospel, we're going to highlight especially those things that maybe aren't found in the synoptics, or that John's perspective, um, he, he sheds light that we otherwise wouldn't see as he reveals these things to us. Well, um, let's quickly, with uh, the last couple minutes here, what we'll do now is just kind of give you a survey of where we're going. So we're not going to be able to dig real deep here, but here's a survey of, of where we're going over the next several weeks in this. If you have your Bibles, open up John chapter 1, and let's look at 1 through 4. Next week, this is what we're going to be talking about. We're not going to stop at verse but we're going to be looking at what we're going to call John's Genesis, how he starts his uh, gospel. Here's how he opens it up. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. The darkness has not overcome it. Now, what's really interesting here is this is how John starts his gospel. 
And if you're familiar with the Bible, some of those words might sound familiar to the beginning of another book. Let's put them side by side. Genesis, look at this. This is, Genesis is the first book of the Bible. This is the book of origins. This is the book that, that so many people in John's audience would have, would have been familiar with. And it starts like this. In the beginning, God creates the heaven and the earth. Who creates the heavens and the earth? God. Every Israelite would know that. They would say, oh, Israel, the Lord your God is one. They get that. There was one God, the creator God, the God who is sovereign over all. And John says, yeah, that's true. starts to lay this, this framework. And as, as scholars and godly people have examined the revelations that came through John, began to understand that somehow God is one, God is three. And so we're going to look a little bit at that next week. That, that things, here we are right away, first chapter of John, things that are, are only attributed to God, being attributed to Jesus. Crazy stuff. Crazy stuff. So we're going to be looking at, at, at that. Also, you're going to see in John chapter 1 some of these contrasts, um, these contrasts between light and darkness and some of these wonderful, wonderful um, metaphors and how that's going to set the framework for things that he's going to reveal to us through his other works as well. Okay, so that's next week. In two weeks, we're going to look at some of the signs. Remember I said, remember that word signs. Let's take a look if you have your Bibles. John uh, chapter 2, starting with verse 6. Right, Mike? I'll start with verse 6 this time. Like I told you I'd start, and I didn't start last time. Um, what's interesting about this passage, among other things, is this is uh, referred to by John here as the first of, a, of the miraculous signs that Jesus performs. But this is the only place it's recorded, which is just really interesting. Here we go. Um, John chapter 2, verse 6 says this. Now, and Jesus is at a wedding. He's at a wedding. Um, now, there were six stone jars of water there at the wedding for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. They had run out of, they had run out of wine at this, this wedding. And Jesus said to the servants, fill those jars with water. And they filled them to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water, it had now become wine. He did not know where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. The master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Hey, everyone serves the good wine first when the people have drunk freely. That's a tactful way of saying that, isn't it? The people had drunk freely. Then they'll bring out the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This, the first of what? His signs. Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory. And the disciples believed in him. This is a key revelation from John. John takes great um, pains to, to, to identify miraculous signs, not just miracles. This is a huge revelation. And this is one that I think a lot of us miss today. And they certainly missed back then. People were looking for miracles. They were looking for supernatural proofs. They were looking for, what God can you do for me now? I have a hungry stomach. Do that miracle that you did with the bread. Do that again. Because my stomach is hungry. Do that thing again. Or, hey, you say you're the Messiah, then here's my test for you. You do my test so that I can know you fit in what I understand God to be. Here's my box. Here's my test. You do this, and then I know that you fit in my box as the God of my box. <laughs> okay. 
I won't even ask. Um, but I'll continue, undaunted. Uh, the, um, what, what, what is revealed through John is that God speaks through signs. He wants to reveal things. Not He doesn't want to say, yes, I'm, I'm the God that fits in your box. He says, let me blow that box away by the type of sign I give you. He's not just saying, you have a hungry stomach. Let me show that I'm God by feeding that hungry stomach. Let me bring you to a place where you have water, bread of life. These signs that he gives go so far beyond a supernatural hocus-pocus kind of thing. And so in a couple weeks, we're going to dig into that. And if you'd like to read ahead, look at John chapter 6. That'll be our launching point as we talk about signs that, 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 um, that John reveals, point to Jesus as being the Messiah. All right. In, uh, as we move on to weeks four and five, we're going to spend two weeks in one chapter. Two weeks in one chapter. And of all, I've made some pretty big statements here about the book of John, and I'll make another one. In all of the writings of John, I don't think there is a section of John that has been more quoted, more, um, more frequently referred to than John chapter 3. Let's take a look at a, at a piece of that. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're the teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God was with him. Jesus answered him, truly I say to you, unless one is what? Born again. How many of you have heard the phrase born again before? You know where it came from? Right here. This is some language that, that John revealed through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to us. Born again. And we're going to press into that. What does it mean to really be born again? And, and those of you who know me, I've got this soapbox. The soapbox of salvation by incantation is, is not biblically good doctrine. That we don't just say a hocus-pocus prayer that then all of a sudden guarantees eternal life or something like that. There's this, this deeper, richer idea of being born again, of having a new mind and a new heart and a new identity, of becoming in Christ. So we're going to press into that and even contrast it a little bit. Also, the other thing we're going to contrast is to perhaps the most quoted verse of the most quoted book in the Bible, John 3.16. How many of you at some point in your life had that memorized or at least tried? Look at all those hands. If I said any other verse, we wouldn't have as many hands. There was something about this verse that, that just caused people to say, this one is one we want our kids to know or our congregations to know or our friends to know, we, our families to know. We want them to know this one, that for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son and whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And we're going to press into that. What does it mean that he's a so loved God? He's not a God that sits back at a distance. He's not a God that, that started the world and just said, you sort it out. He's not a God who says, wait until you get your act together and then you come to me. He's a so-loved God who reaches out into our world. We're going to spend a week on that. Um, week six, uh, we're going to look at the upper room. Of all of the four Gospels, only John devotes this lengthy text to what happened there. We're going to see things revealed through John that, that no other gospel records of, of Jesus washing people's feet and all these things that are just rich, rich, rich. So we're going to look at that. And then um, week seven, that'll be synchronized with Palm Sunday, what we've called now Palm Sunday, where we commemorate Jesus' uh, triumphal entry, it's called, into the Jerusalem. And people were cheering and singing and, 
And of the four Gospels, do you know which one or ones mention palms, specifically saying palms? I believe it's only John. Why does John mention palms when the others don't? And why does he mention palms in, in that account and in his book of Revelation? Why does he also reveal palms are going to be part of that? So we're going to look at that. And then Easter comes. What is it that John uniquely reveals about Easter? And then we'll spend one week on the book of Revelation. That's all you need, right? No, we're specifically going to zero in the week after Easter on this idea of the second coming of Jesus coming back. And what we're going to really even narrow that down to is what fits in the category of let's agree to disagree and what fits in the category of you better know this. So this is where we're going. That's, that's a brief summary. Now, will we cover everything there is to cover? Of course not. Even John, in, in the great revelation he was given, he, he alludes to the fact that there's so much more that could be said. This is what he writes in his gospel. He says, now there's many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written? I suppose the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. So instead of just trying to say, here's Jesus A to Z, he was inspired by the Holy Spirit to reveal certain things to us. And as best we can with the time we have, we are going to try to say, okay, Holy Spirit, speak to us. Reveal to us through these words what it is that you want to say at our time and in, in this place. So my hope you know, for, for you in this series, my hope for me, is that God's going to take us deeper. And, and that purpose statement that he had, that we may really believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing we may have new life in his name, that's, that's my desire for all of us as we, uh, as we press into this series. So let's, let's pray to that end as we, as we go our separate ways today. Please stand with me. Let me pray for, for all of us. Pray a blessing over you as we go forth. Lord, thank you that you love to bless um, folks. And we, we pray that you would bless us with a deeper understanding. Lord, as we press into these things, these truths that you've revealed through your servant, John, may, may they take deep root in us. Lord, I pray that every one of us either learns something new that can grow deep roots or that which we know is affirmed and we're reminded of it in such a way that causes growth and maturity in us. So Lord, bless us with with an ability to re understand your revelations and then the power and the guidance and the wisdom to live that out as we seek to follow you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Have a great week. We'll see you next week.